You're listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Do you need to get rid of your carbon dioxide? Try the Calvin Cycle, carbon fixation for the rest of us. for listening to Rootbound. My name is Steve. And for today, I have a little bit of foreshadowing for you because I want to talk about a botanical term that I did not know the definition to until after this episode when I had to go look it up. Because as you will see, both the guest and I chose a plant that was defined by this word. And that word is droop. Um, What is a droop, you might ask? Well, a droop is... A classification of fruit. So there's many different classifications of fruits. Droop is one of them. Berry is also one of them. There are others, but let's talk about a droop. What is a droop? Do you know? I didn't. A droop is, in its simplest, essentially a stone fruit. Something that has a hard seed in the middle surrounded by softer flesh. And uh, examples of droops are peaches, plums, olives... Um, there's many droops. One thing that happened when I was researching this is like, oh, like avocados, those are also droops. But apparently an avocado is not a droop. And that has to do with the consistency of the seed in the center. It, 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 that seed doesn't have a hard outer shell with a, you know, softer middle. It's the seed is a consistent consistency throughout the seed, which apparently that makes it not a droop. And apparently an avocado is technically a berry. So there you go. So, that's a droop. Uh, moving on to the guest segment of the show, and I just want to give a little bit more foreshadowing that this this uh, next segment has just about everything. It has the universe, it has philosophy, it has feces. You'll see what I mean. Let's get to the guest. So, my guest on today's episode of Rootbound is my sister, Harmony. Hi, Harmony. Hi. Uh, so do you have a plant do you want to share with me? I do. Um, I what, have quite, what is it? I have quite a wild ride prepared, by the way, because oh, when I research oh, great. stuff, yeah, I tend to go down um, kind of a rabbit hole asking why does this matter at all? That is exactly what we're interested in here. Oh, great. Well, hold on to your butts. All right, here we go. Um, So I've chosen a plant that at first might appear boring or kind of obvious, but because it is is of such great cultural significance, uh, we might take its interesting characteristics for granted. So it's a very popular flower, and many popular fruits are related to it. And a chemical responsible for the characteristic smell of one of the fruits in this family, not the fruit of this particular flower I'm talking about, a chemical responsible for the characteristic smell of one of the fruits in this family is also present in the galactic center. Oh, how, how do we know that? I did a pause so you could add an echo or something if you want. Okay. Oh, good. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, can I, can I guess? Yeah. Is it the, the prunus genus? No. Okay, dang. Okay, then I, I won't guess anymore. Okay. Um, this is from... 
the Wikipedia entry in the Galactic Center, it says in 2009, astronomers were, astronomers were able to identify a chemical called, chemical called ethyl formate in a big dust cloud at the center of the Milky Way. Ethyl formate happens to be responsible for the flavor of raspberries, which is related to roses, genus Rosa. Rose is the um, flower that I chose. So the Galactic Center smells of roses? Smells of raspberries, and raspberries oh. are related to roses. Oh, I see, yes. So, um, let's see. Apples, peaches, almonds are in the same family. Um, loquats, a whole bunch of stuff related to the rose in the same family. Um, also, if you look at a rose in nature, like a wild rose, you'll see that it resembles an apple blossom. Mm-hmm. I think pear, are pears in that same family as well? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Cool. I tried to make this not I read Wikipedia to you, but I just have a couple blips from the Rose Wikipedia page. Most species are native to Asia, with smaller numbers native to Europe, North America, Northwestern Africa. Um, different species hybridize easily. Um, so the rose plant is a medium, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A great medium, kind of like citrus, is you can like Frankenstein it into stuff and make a new thing. Plants that are related, I have um, a droop or prune is related. So you're actually right. Uh, uh, In a uh, way. A pr- wait, what? Oh, a droop? I, I, uh, no, am I right? What did I say? Didn't you say prune? Droop? Oh, I said, I, well, I said um, genus prunus, oh. which I don't think prunes are in the genus prunus because a prune is a, is a dried plum. Which is a droop. I'm actually not quite sure what a droop is. That's something, I, uh, actually, the well, plant I'm going to talk about later is also a droop. So we're oh. in droop land if, this, if, cool. if the rose hips are it. also droops. Um, well, a raspberry is, is considered an aggregate of tiny drooplets. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start referring to my cats as that. <laughs> <laughs> I have three cats and they're an aggregate of tiny drooplets. <laughs> <laughs> Ahoy, droplets. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they just made a sound. This... I don't know if you could hear that. The droplets oh, are you. active. Yeah. <laughs> the call of the droplet. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> members of this family include apricots, plums, pears, apples, strawberries, raspberries, and roses. Roses are insect pollinated in nature. Most roses are deciduous, but a few, particularly from Southeast Asia, are evergreen, are nearly so. Rose hips are the fruit of the wild rose. Um, many of the domestic cultivars do not produce hips. That's why rose hips sounds kind of old-timey or foreign, not foreign, but like not as familiar to us in our culture because the roses that they cultivate for you to buy at the store or whatever do not produce rose hips. But rose hips are the fruit uh-huh. of the f- that appears after the flower goes away. And they're said to contain more vitamin C calcium, phosphorus, and iron than oranges. And I found from two sources that um, during World War II in England, hips were gathered, rose hips were gathered for their abundance of these vitamins and minerals, um, and that they make an excellent survival food. That, that's very interesting. I've, I, I knew that rose hips were a thing, but you, yeah, you never really thought about rose hips when you think of a rose bush. 
I did see a bunch of rose hips when I was in Alaska, and apparently it was just before rose hip season, but the people in Alaska gather, like, the wild rose hips as one of the berries that they gather. Oh. Yeah, Muana agrees. And it's interesting because it does look like hips. Like, they call it that. Yeah. It kind of looks like little hips on the plant. That's true. I think that we have we have two, it looks like two different cultivars of roses in our garden, and... I think one of them does have hips. I need to, I was gone for like the prime time last summer, but I need to inspect that more. Um, the roots have been used as an ointment for sore eyes and the wood of the plant for arrows. Rose auto is the real form of rose oil and everything what else is... is con- how did you spell that? Auto? O-T-T-O. I forgot to oh, dig like, into the like, etymology like of that word. Like the bus driver from, really... from The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, cool. So that's the real f- form of what now? The uh, the rose essential oil. If it's oh, called okay. rose auto, then it is a real oil. And it, on the online etymology dictionary, the root meaning of auto is a German given name and surname meaning wealth and prosperity. So it takes, you know, something like 60 roses to make one drop of rose auto, rose oh, essential wow. oil. All wow. other rose oils that you encounter, if it does not say rose auto, then it is an absolute, which you probably know more about what an absolute is than I do, but it's like an extract. Okay, so the thorns on a rose stem, they're not really thorns, they're prickles. So a thorn is a sharp, pointed, modified stem. This is from Wikipedia. And a prickle is a sharp outgrowth from the epidermis or bark. So Thorns on a rose aren't thorns. Botanically speaking, they are prickles. Oh, that's also something I'm going to call my cats. Prickles. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, prickles. (laughs) So it's interesting that such a precious, such a complex, scented, intoxicating being, plant being, also demands, it demands by its own being that it be handled with care. I thought that was interesting. Or also like something really wonderful is also a little bit dangerous. Yeah, that, that's true. It is interesting that we, we are so attracted to roses as a species that we don't mind that it has thorns. There's lots of other flowers that don't have prickles. Sorry, prickles, not thorns. But the rose we have continued to cultivate even though it can hurt you. Yes, and... So a molecule that is in, that is a part of the um, characteristic bouquet of roses, indole, is also a molecule that is present in human feces. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> that, um, there's, you know, that reminds me of the song Roses by Outcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. They're inextricably linked. Yeah. Even oh, in a wow. way that you couldn't even fathom. Um, so that's interesting too. This like, this is the, you know, it seems kind of obvious and boring, like, oh, the rose, but like, why? What are the things about it? There's, there, it has a complexity and a beauty and um, its characteristic smell also shares a profile with poop and it has thorns and it's dangerous. So there's this like kind of down and dirty, down in it, uh, like, you can get hurt. You're smelling poop. 
it's it's very di- the dichotomy is more than I thought. I mean, the the every rose has its thorn. That's a pretty obvious dichotomy. But the every rose also smells like poop was not something I expected to learn today. <laughs> <laughs> but something I was interested in was the function of the rose within pre Anthropocene wilderness. I don't know if I pronounced uh-huh. that right, but like yeah, every. So we have extracted this plant from its contexts, and it has mm-hmm. it carries all this cultural significance because we've extracted it from its original context and placed it within our own um, human context, wherein, like, in regards to like civilization, we sort of extract ourselves from nature, or like mm-hmm. this con- c- civilization considers itself separate from nature. So I was curious to know what is the rose as a character in in all of nature like everything sort of develops everything in nature evolves its characteristics as a part of this grand symphony mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really find that out but I got I got to some interesting other places just thinking about um, it sort of spurred this um, little not so much a tangent, but just for sort of a bigger conversation, which I'll sort of blow through really quickly. And I promise I'll bring it home in a relevant way. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I wanted to know what, who is the Rose as a character within this grand symphony of beings that we are experiencing through the unfolding of time. Um, and I kind of got to the place where for now, I'm satisfied with, you know, I had trouble finding out, like, who the rose is in the context of its, like, native habitat. Um, but I thought that was interesting in regards to, like, the whole thing, all of nature as a personality, what Terence McKenna referred to as the vegetable mind, um, this quote about um, indole, Perfume manufacturers sometimes add synthetic indole to commercial perfumes, attempting to replicate nature's symphony, but such attempts invariably fall short. And then um, my thoughts just on civilization is we currently more readily attribute consciousness to complex networks of our own creation, like AI, than to complex biological network, the complex biological network that is the entire planet itself. Um, so we more readily ascribe personality and consciousness to things of our own creation rather than like um, the entire, like we are a complex, we are like a a combination of complex systems and we're a being with awareness. So what other like combinations of complex systems could equal beings with awareness? We don't know, but these are the, this is, this is like the, the road I went down, <laughs> look, researching researching the rose. Um, I mean, that's very, very interesting. One of the things that I, I, I'm trying to learn in this podcast is learn more about plants. And I think it's more and more obvious that plants do have some kind of consciousness. It's completely different from our world. I was talking in the first episode with my friend Ashley, who, who's host of the watering hole, this podcast about animals and, you know, animals can be really weird. And I said this in the first episode, but when it comes down to it from a beetle to a elephant, they're pretty similar to us, right? They eat, they sleep, they poop in all the kinds of similar ways that he, that that all animal, the animal kingdom does. But but plants are kind of this whole different thing, and it's really hard, I think, for humans to 
to really wrap our head around how they operate. And so that's one of the things I'm hoping to do in this podcast is try to understand a bit more, not only like the science of it, but really the the how and the why. So that's interesting. You kind of brought that whole thing up. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased that you're on. I'm excited that you're on a similar track with this. Because um, I thought like the fact that we are at a point in civilization where we try to machine replicate things that are really wonderful and they always fall short and we just ignore that as sort of a disregard for the complex network in which we live, um, disregarding the complex network as possibly a, a personality um, to a, like a reduction to the sum of its parts um, is a reason we're annihilating the planet. Yeah. And so true. I have a great, amazing quote by Richard Tarnas. I'm going to read it it's in, in its entirety and then I will add a sprinkling and that will be the end of my presentation. Okay. Um, a progressive impoverishment of human life and the human spirit, a fragmentation of original unities, a ruinous destruction of the sacred community of being. Since the encompassing cosmological context in which all human activity takes place has eliminated any enduring ground of transcendent values, spiritual, moral, aesthetic, the resulting vacuum had Im has empowered the reductive values of the of the market and the mass media to colonize the collective human imagination and drain it of all depth. The drive to achieve ever greater financial profit, political power, and technological prowess becomes the dominant impulse moving individuals and societies until these values, despite ritual claims to the contrary, supersede all other aspirations. The disenchanted cosmos impoverishes the collective psyche in the most global way, vitiating its spiritual and moral imagination. Vitiate, I might be pronouncing that wrong, not only in the sense of diminish and impair, but also in the sense of deform and debase. In such a context, everything can be appropriated. Nothing is immune. Majestic vistas of nature, great works of art, revered music, eloquent language, the beauty of the human body, distant lands and cultures, extraordinary moments in history, the arousal of deep human emotion, all become advertising tools to manipulate hum consumer response. For quite literally, in a disenchanted cosmos, nothing is sacred. The soul of the world has been extinguished. Ancient trees and forests can then be seen as nothing but potential lumber. Mountains, nothing but mineral deposits. Seashores and deserts are oil reserves, lakes and rivers engineering tools. Animals are perceived as harvestable commodities, indigenous tribes as obstructing relics of an outmoded past, children's minds as marketing targets. At the all-important cosmological level, the spiritual dimension of the empirical universe has been entirely negated, and with it any publicly affirmable encompassing ground for moral wisdom and restraint. The short-term and bottom-line rule all, whether in politics, business, or the media, the lowest common denominator increasingly governs discourse and prescribes the values of the whole. Myopically obsessed with narrow goals and narrow identities, the powerful blind themselves to the larger suffering and crisis of the global community. In a world where the subject is experienced as living in and above and against a world of objects, other peoples and cultures 
other peoples and cultures are more readily perceived as simply other objects, inferior in value to oneself, to ignore or exploit for one's own purposes, as are other forms of life, biosystems, planetary, and the planetary whole. Moreover, the underlying anxiety and disorientation that pervade modern societies in the face of a meaningless cosmos create both a collective psychic numbness and a desperate spiritual hunger, leading to an addictive, insatiable craving for ever more material goods to fill the inner emptiness and producing a manic techno-consumerism that cannibalizes the planet. The ambition to emancipate ourselves as autonomous subjects by objectifying the world has, in a sense, come full circle, returned to haunt us by turning the human itself into an object as well, an ephemeral side effect of the random universe, an isolated atom in a mass society, a statistic, a commodity, passive prey to the demands of the market, prisoner of the self-constructed modern iron cage. That's the quote from Richard Tarnas. Um, just a couple little tiny little bits. Um, a side note, when I was researching indole, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing right, that has, it is a molecule found in human feces, also found in the um, scent profile of rose. There's another molecule called scatol or scatol. I don't know how you say it. Um, and that molecule is present in jasmine, orange blossom, and lily, and also poop. And in a couple of sources, one including Molecules That Amaze Us by Paul May, but I found it a couple other places too. Um, Skatol is added artificially to ice cream flavoring. <laughs> um, wow. So... I'll just end with this roomy poem. I ask the rose, where did you get such skin? She laughs. How could she answer? She is drunk, but not enough to say secrets. And that's it. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing about the rose and the universe. <laughs> it was very, very uh, um, educational. And... Um, there was a lot bigger takeaways in there for sure, but the <laughs> roses really smelling like poo poo poo. <laughs> it really, um, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, very, very, very interesting. Do you mind if I tell you about a plant? Please. I was hoping that you would. Um, very good. So this plant, this this is the first tree I'm talking about on this podcast. Um, even though I, I have not actually seen the tree, but I have seen the fruit. And this story also has a tinge of regret in it as well. That, and, and can I just stop you for a moment? Sure, that sure. sentence... I have not seen the tree, but I have seen the fruit. This story is also something with a tinge of regret. Yeah. Um, that sounds like the beginning of an autobiography. Maybe, maybe I'll make it that. And, 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 and also the tinge of regret, but as I thought about it more today and looked at some stuff a little deeper, there is also 
some of the same themes that you talked about as far as the the way humans are changing our planet. So we're on the same theme today. And it's also a droop. Um, oh, the, 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 right. the, the fruit. So the name of the tree and the fruit is Umari. And that's spelled U-M-A-R-I. Um, and the Latin name, I'm just pulling up now because it's long and, and you know, like Latin names are. And this is one of those places where I didn't actually click on my notes soon enough because I was listening the whole time. So, yeah, the fruit is called umari, and the Latin name is Pora caiba sericea. And this is a tree that is native to the Peru, native to the Amazon, and it's in Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, and Brazil. Um, and it's a tree that that grows, from what I've read, I've not seen the tree, um, about twenty meters, but sometimes it's lower. But, but how, I, how I kind of learned about this fruit was uh, a number of years ago, I was in Peru for work. I was there to, to um, document illegal deforestation in the Peruvian Amazon, and I was in Iquitos, Peru, which is the largest city um, in, in, per, in the Peruvian Amazon area. And it's the, it's the largest city in the world that is not connected um, by road to any other city. The only way to get there is by plane or by boat, which is very interesting. Um, so it was in Iquitos, and we were going to go fly over this area um, the next day to document some illegal deforestation from the air. I was with a local fixer, a guy named Jorge, a really cool guy, and he was also a photographer. So before we went and did our, our job oh. that morning, we got up really early, and we went to the market, um, the market in Iquitos, which Sorry, is an is area called... Uh, what is a fixer? A fixer, that's like a local guy who helps you like arrange stuff. It's, it's oh, okay. like jur- journalism business. Yeah, sorry. Use oh, lingo. Like he's no, just really a guy who, who knows how know. to like fix stuff up for you. So Yeah. Um so so before we went and did our job that, that day, we got up really early and went down to the market in an area called Belen in Iquitos, which is right on the Amazon. And we got there like before five AM and it was just amazing to see just the wealth of the jungle pour in this tiny port at 5 a.m. All of this, like, food and just, I mean, it was all food, fish and fruit and animals and everything just coming in to this town. And every morning, this happens. Everyone who lives out in all the different areas around Iquitos bring in the stuff they harvest from the jungle. And it was that point, which was a little bit weird. I was like, oh, I get why, I get why they called it Amazon.com. Because <laughs> it's a market. Like the, the Amazon yeah. jungle is this, is this market. I mean, it's a local market. But, but it was a pretty like, um, it's a pretty like uh, bastardized use of the word Amazon. But it's a river yeah. that brings everything in. Um, and it was just amazing. All this fruit. Just, I watched guys just bring bananas, huge things of bananas up in the town and it was kind of funny a few hours later we were up at one of the other markets that's further away and you could kind of see the bananas move through the supply chain even within the town of Iquitos like they're coming in at the wholesalers at the market but by the end of the day they're at all the little you know corner shops and everything and the price had probably gone up three times just within this it was pretty cool um but we were going around you know taking just pictures on our cell phones just having fun taking pictures and seeing things and I kept seeing 
at a bunch of different stands. I mean, most of the stuff I recognized, you know, there was, um, uh, yeah, just all sorts of fruits. I recognize a lot of them that are kind of, you know, rare to most people, but I had been to Peru before. So there's a fruit called a Kamu Kamu and there's a Brazil nut and there's, you know, other jungle fruits. But there was one fruit that I kept seeing a lot of in these huge piles of these glossy black. They were, they were glossy black, sometimes a little red, sometimes a little yellow, about the size of a baseball, maybe a little smaller. Mostly round, a little bit oval, mostly round, but they were everywhere. Like everyone had a huge pile of them. And I was like, what is that? And the, the guy, you know, Jorge was like, I don't know. And so he asked someone and they're like, oh, there's Umari. And I'm like, oh what's an umari and they're like oh yeah umari is this it's a fruit it's like butter and i'm like what he's like yeah you take it and you squeeze it and you put it on your bread and i'm like oh Mm. really and then i was like oh that's really cool and so this is where the regret comes in i didn't buy one so i've never tasted an umari oh but then later twinge of regret yeah later i got back to my i got back to some internet i started researching it and it's it's, you know, it's one of these, it's a plant that there's not a ton of information about it online. The Wikipedia page is pretty sparse. There's a few other places where people describe it. But apparently it's very uh, oily, I guess similar to an avocado, but maybe even more so. Oh. And the flavor is is apparently pretty buttery as well. And you can just spread it onto bread or you can extract an oil from it. It's a super oily, super, super oily fruit, which is very interesting. And I just happened to be in Iquitos right at the peak of harvest season for Umari. So it was everywhere. Um, what I learned later um, was that the area we were going to document, and this is where the bit of maybe sorrow comes in, the area we're going to document is this illegally deforested cacao plantation that is just across the river from Iquitos in a place called Tamshiaku, a town called Tamshiaku. And in 2013, this massive cacao project got started there and an area half the size of Manhattan was illegally deforested. And so I was, I was filming that from the air. Um, When I got back to, to uh, the United States and was reading about Umari, I found this book called Agroforestry, Realities, Possibilities, and Potentials from 1987. And they talk about one of the main areas for Umari is Tamshiaku. So this area that has been illegally illegally deforested is one of like the main areas where they grow Umari. And I have a feeling now, and this is something that, that, you know, if if I had... If I could, if I could, like was a botanist and wanted to like do a PhD, very interesting to see the effects. I would love to know the effects of this legal deforestation and this large scale agriculture on this native plant and whether, you know, just the damaging effects of deforestation on it, but also the market driving local people away from taking care of this plant because it, it uh, was a staple plant in their own forestry, their yeah. local forestry systems. But now there's this external pressure that's getting them to, to, to to do cocoa and how much umari is being taken care of and planted anymore um and so that's where maybe the the ultimate sorrow is i don't know the next time i'll be in iquitos um who knows i don't know the next time i'll be there during the peak season of umari but you know who knows how long there'll be a wealth of umari anyway if if this kind of deforestation of the Amazon is allowed to continue. And it's a plant, it's one of those things, it's this, it's this thing that exists that most people have never heard of. I never heard of it. It exists in this little world by itself. And 
it could be erased because of the greed of humanity and how many other things out there are like that, that, that we just yeah. have completely um, missed. So I'm bummed I didn't get to taste it. It sounds like a really cool fruit. The other thing that's interesting about it is that it's this very oily fruit. One of the things they're also deforesting in that area of Peru, uh, deforesting for in Peru is palm oil, which is a fruit to make oil. And this is also an oily fruit. And it just, it's almost like, are you just replacing a native oily fruit for another one because you, um, because one has a market and one doesn't, I don't know. Anyway, I could rant about that for a while, but I'm, I'm bummed I didn't taste an umari, but it's something that stuck on my head for a long time. And hopefully someday I'll get to try one and hopefully they can continue to thrive. The title of this song is The Rose. It's a very ancient so song, perhaps about uh, 500 years old at least. No beautiful palace have I on the hill. No pictures to hang in my hall. But there is no painter can match with the skill of the roses that bloom on my wall. My guest on today's episode of Rootbound was Harmony Ellington. Harmony currently writes scary astrology emails to brighten your day. You can sign up for those emails at voyage.earth. Harmony is also my sister. Rootbound is hosted by me, Steve Ellington, music by Christian Kriegeskota, fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But every now and then, you should wander outside, look at some plants, and enjoy. Try the Calvin Cycle. Carbon fixation for the rest of us.